Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you very much. I'm very good indeed. It's now getting hot in the UK, uh, and I'm struggling already. It's not even at, it's it's not even British summertime yet, and I'm suffering. It's bloody warm. It's muggy, like sticky hot, proper humid. It feels like a storm needs to happen, but it's just not happening. Oh, I love a good summer storm. You know, it clears the air mm. and the air feels yeah. nice and just crisp. Yeah. yeah. I, feel like I know what you mean. We're, we're coming up to our annual mentioning how hot the first ever day we recorded the episodes were. Do you remember, like, it seems like hot. About every year we, we, we refer to it at some point. When it starts getting hot, we're like, oh, first episode we ever recorded was really, really hot. Yeah, it, it, was, it was hot. And at the minute I'm sitting here fully sunburnt. Well, I don't get sunburned, but I'm really sunburned, and it hurts. <laughs> yeah, I, I burn as well. I go, I turn into a lobster, and then I turn back into Daz White. Um, you see, I tan, so this will go nice and like olive skinned. I'm really looking forward to that. But at the minute, it's just a bit red. It's my forearms and the back of my neck and my shoulders because mm. I went to the uh, Thought Park the other day, and all the queue in there's just no shade. And I wear a cap. If you know me, you'll know that I wear a cap everywhere I go. <laughs> I'd never not wear one. And I, I was, like, t- turning it all the ways to, like, try and block the sun, and it just it did nothing. And the people I went with, I used some of their um, sun cream, and I'm pretty sure it was, like, factor five because it just was one of them that smells of coconut. It's a mist. It, doesn't, it didn't do anything. 
No, it was one I, of those tanning ones. I wish I tanned. I, I remember going on a hot family holiday once, and my sister actually put like oil on her skin, like you know, fucking cooking. You're oil just gonna and cook. And I was like, "What are you doing?" It was the last day, and it was like, you know, just burn me, just go for it, do your worst. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very because at work I'm outside a lot as well, and obviously with masks, the top of my head is tanned and my hands are tanned, so I'm happy that everything else is catching up because I looked weird. <laughs> I always look weird. I, I say I don't, I don't tan at all. Unfortunately, I just burn and then go back to being white. It's the Scottish genes. I'm not supposed to be in the <laughs> sun for too long. I belong in a cave, uh, and that's where I want to stay. That's where I'm at my happiest. Um, now, before we get started, uh, do make sure that you uh, rate and review us on all your platforms that you listen to us on. Uh, obviously, on iTunes, you could drop us a five-star. Say hello if you fancy it. Any other platforms that you listen to, if you're on Spotify, make sure you follow the podcast before we crack on. Um, also, just to, just a little drop it in. We do have a Kofi page if you do fancy donating to the show, uh, which... Uh, we want to give a little shout out to Jamie, who um, uh, very nicely uh, donated to the show. So thank you to Jamie. They've been fantastic. And um, yeah, they dropped us a little message and we're so happy to have you listening to the show. So they sent us else... a very nice message as well. Like, it's yeah. so nice when people get in touch and it's very, we were just scrolling through Twitter, I think talking about our socials and it was in our message requests. And obviously, if you'd noticed, we've, we've had a week off because we've both been super, super busy. So we just decided to have a little have a little nosy we do often check them a lot sooner but not this week and it was just there and it made us very happy because i think this is the first message we've ever read together so that was quite nice oh it's fantastic so jamie if you're listening thank you very much for your donation that's so very kind of you and um yeah uh, thank you for listening anyone else that would like to donate to the show you can do so there is a link to it on all of our social media pay platforms and yeah let's just uh, let's crack on shall we um this week we are going to the land down under where we've been before with Catherine Knight, um, so far... That ended well. I don't think... Yeah, that ended very well. Uh, at least it ended with a dinner, but not a very nice dinner. I don't mm. think we've actually done a nice episode in Australia yet. Because everything there wants to kill you. Everything in Australia wants to kill you, uh, including the people, which is a really good segue. Well, I'm, I was having this conversation earlier. I think there's a Peppa Pig episode where they teach the kids that spiders are friends and you shouldn't be afraid of them and you should go up and, like pick them up and move them and stuff and they banned that episode in australia because they didn't want the kids going up to spiders <laughs> That's because they, they just kill you <laughs> spiders in australia will kill you i love that <laughs> yeah everything wants to kill you well everything is bigger badder and meaner um so yeah let's go let's go to the land down under uh in our episode about a guy called martin bryant which was a listener recommendation. Uh, we'll get to that later on in the ep- episode. Um, so, yes, just crack on, shall we? It is mm-hmm. 1987, and there were several mass shootings in Australia, leading to a national gun summit in the same year. The point was to make proposals for Australia to change its gun laws. However, the state of Tasmania was resistant to change. In frustration, the Premier of New South Wales, Barry Unsworth, stormed out of the summit, declaring, quote, It will take a massacre in Tasmania before we get gun reform in Australia. A decade later, he would be proved right when 35 people enjoying a day out at the historic site of Port Arthur would be callously shot dead by a socially inept 28-year-old called Martin Bryant. I imagine 
because obviously we're both very liberal lefties and we're talking about guns we're gonna get a bit heated well here's the thing or one country's already springing to mind and we don't need to name names or point fingers <laughs> but sort it out sort it out lads <laughs> yeah yeah we'll get on to it as we go so who is martin bryant Martin Bryant was born May the 7th, 1967 in Hobart, Tasmania. He is the eldest of two children to Maurice and uh, Morris, actually, I should say. It's Morris, but it's spelt like it's Maurice, but the Australians say... Maurice. Isn't that um, from Madagascar? Oh, Maurice, uh, yeah. Lima, Maurice. (laughs) Yeah. So it's spelt like Maurice, like M-A-U-R-I-C-E. You'd say like... Mar- That's how I'd say it. I'd say Maurice. Yeah, Maurice. But apparently, so far as I've heard, like, all the Australians call him Morris. So I need to remember that. So yeah, he's the eldest Morris, okay. of two children to Morris and Carlene Bryant. Now, I, also, I will... I know, I've, I, literally, Ryan, you're five minutes in and you, you've not even like stuck to the script at all. Um, we've done this before when we've done an Australian episode and I did an Australian accent. Now, I can't help but try and do an Australian accent even when I'm not intending to do one. And Martin Bryant's mum is called Carlene with two E's, C-A-R-L-E-E-N. Every time I say it, I keep hearing the Australian news reporters saying Carlene Bryant. And I just want to say it like that. <laughs> you go for it, whatever makes you happy. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to do the accent because I don't want to offend anyone. But it just, yeah, it comes out. So if, if you hear it... My Aussie accent comes out a lot as well. It's very weird. Usually when I'm trying to either like reduce tension in the situation yeah. or if I'm drunk. If I'm uncomfortable, I start doing accents. Mm. <laughs> anyway, I'll start the sentence again. Martin Bryant is the eldest of two children to Morris and Carlene Bryant. Now, in most of our episodes on knobheads, they generally have a messed up childhood. Say like a parent was being a dick or one of them wasn't around very much. But in Martin's case, it seems he couldn't have had a better parent. He grew up in a loving home with two parents who doted on their children. His mother had a few hiccups with her new son, like she had some problems with physical affection from him, but he seemed to be absolutely obsessed with his dad, Morris. Have you ever seen the film uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin? No, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, I've not either, but I was looking up, right? And I was like, this sounds reminiscent to what I know about the film We Need to Talk About Kevin, right? And as far as I can remember, uh, from what I've looked up, We Need to Talk About Kevin is about a woman who has a dodgy relationship with her son. Like, she wants to, like, dote on this boy as much as she can, give him all the love and affection, but he just is not interested at all. Like, he, he just, him and the mother just cannot connect on any level. But the boy is absolutely obsessed with um the dad and every time the mum's like there's something wrong with this kid the dad's like no there isn't it's like fine they give the kid a bow and arrow and he's like a really sufficient like excellent efficient uh, uh marksman with the bow and arrow and he ends up like going on a rampage like killing people with this bow and arrow and i think also like trying to kill the mum or something and it's like holy shit like this kid's actually a psychopath um mm. but it reminds me of this as we go on um, I'm probably going to forget this fucking connection later, but, you know, if anyone's listening, just rewind and remind yourself what I've just mentioned about. But anyway, it reminds me of we need to talk about Kevin. Uh, now, Martin himself even said that his family environment was, quote, good and okay. 
His family had a beach home on the southeast of the island at Carnarvon Bay, where they spent a lot of time. See, uh, the area's a beauty spot and a a historic area of Tasmania known for its colonial past, with uh, an old penal colony called Port Arthur. It's got, like, old, like, 18th century Victorian buildings and whatnot and it's got an old prison there at port arthur and all this stuff it's, it looks really cool so far as i've like been looking up now the only notice noticeable issue at home was between martin and his younger sister but that was like you know typical sibling rivalry and it was definitely just one-sided just definitely from martin's side um so are we about to hear someone lose their shit after a good upbringing because that's quite rare yeah yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Like, so like, most of the knobheads we spoke about before, you know, they've had a shit upbringing. There's always a dodgy parent or whatever. But Martin, mm. no, there was none of that really. Like, Martin's mum even does interviews today, and like, she's always saying like, there's, like, he didn't have a bad upbringing. Like, we didn't, we did everything we could for our kids. Like, they went on holidays, they had friends. Like, we did as much as we could for the kids all the time. Um, mm. so yeah. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Um, but yeah, he was he was very Martin himself, even as a child, was very conscious of the fact that his younger sister was a lot smarter than him, and he did not like right, it okay. at all. Like he was very self conscious about his own intelligence. So he struggled at school. He really did not take to traditional learning. Um, you know, like your maths, times tables, like no, literacy, all that kind mm. of stuff. And some schools were like, uh, schools were like, oh, we kind of get that Martin's not. not very gifted in that sense and they tried to do a few things but it didn't quite work for him um in fact his teachers described him as being distant and unemotional he was bullied and became himself uh, a bit of a violent child at school sort of acting out and whatnot um isn't being unemotional uh, a sign of being a psychopath if you literally just show nothing yes well it, it's a trait a trait um that can appear in many different um mental um conditions but yeah one of them being you know psychopathic where you just don't really seem to show much emotion i mean he does he can show emotion and whatnot um whereas i think psychopaths I just think don't the have the ability between psychopath and sociopath yeah a psychopath can't like physically can't a sociopath like manipulates emotion or something i've probably got that wrong i think it's the other way around i think a psychopath cannot and only imitates um so like blend in with the environment and i think a sociopath can feel it but just doesn't care for it or something like that i don't know um mm. to be fair as we go on because you know you're thinking it now psycho psychiatrists when assessing martin bryant have said that he's not a psychopath he's not a sociopath there's absolutely fucking nothing wrong with him he's an out he's a normal person he's just a bit bizarre right um but yeah so whenever his sister brought her friends around to the house Martin just was not very comfortable, didn't like it, didn't like them coming around. He would scream at the top of his lungs for them to just leave the house, go away, don't come over again, that kind of stuff. Uh, whenever they like rang the house phone, um, he'd like you know shout down the phone like "Go away, go away, don't don't ring, don't come." Um, so yeah, safe to say, Martin didn't have many friends growing up. Um, but yeah, even Martin's mum said in an interview that as a child he was quote annoying and uh different and she also did say that most young boys can be annoying so didn't really think too much about it 
she literally she's like but every young boy is annoying so you know what's different about mine but i would argue that pulling the snorkel off a boy's face while he's swimming uh cutting down a neighbor's tree and even torturing animals as a little you know that's just a little bit more than annoying do you not think well there it is a bit like uh harming animals in youth is a sign that you're going to go on to be a bit of a I don't know twat. Yeah, so you've got the McDonald triad which is um, setting fires, wetting the bed and torturing animals. If you do all three of those it's very highly likely that your child will turn out to be a killer um, and if mm. they do one of them the, the possibility is smaller but still there mm. but yeah, in fact uh, when Martin was 12 he was in the local news, actually on the news program, uh, laying in a hospital bed where he'd got himself uh, playing with firecrackers, which had burnt him. Now, the news reporter, and this is quite a funny little video, the news reporter asked him, quote, do you think you'll be playing with firecrackers anymore? To which Martin replied, yes. He's like, <laughs> he's like they asked him they're like um but like you got burnt like do you not want to you know do you feel like you've learned from it he's like yeah but i'm still gonna play with them it's like, okay mm. kid stuff in it now when when he was 14 <laughs> his dad gave him an air rifle which in hindsight is a bad idea considering what he gets up to later in life um yeah. And Martin began hiding in a dried creek bed next to the house where he would shoot at traffic going past the street. Now, this is an air rifle. Like Air rifles shoot, I think, little metal pellets. So like they do hurt if you get yeah. shot by them. They do hurt. And he was shooting at people. Now, we can look back at this point and think, ah, shit, the dad bred this kind of behaviour. But it... It was all mm. meant with good intentions. So, as I mentioned earlier, um, Martin's mum didn't really have, like, she couldn't really get that uh, affection from her son, where he was obsessed with his dad. And the dad was always like, you know, um, the mum wasn't able to basically deal with his hyperactive energy and would just sort of let Martin run riot at times. But the dad, uh, Morris, was, like, really desperate to try and rein him in and try to, quote, normalize the boy um try yeah. and, like soften his like urges a bit more and rein him in and sort of try to make the guy like make the kid just a normal kid like do it here's an air rifle like learn to take care of an air rifle like all other kids i did why can't you that kind of behavior so the dad has good intentions here obviously um yeah it, it doesn't work out later on in life but anyway martin wasn't a very smart boy when he left school, he had the IQ of 66, which is considered to be the norm for a 10-year-old. Now, that's not good. And in fact, even later in life, when he's 20s, he still has a very similar IQ to about an 11-year-old. So he's not very smart at all. Mm. Uh, because of this, he couldn't hold down a normal job due to his social behaviours. Uh, he received disability benefit, and he just worked odd jobs. Now, only two people close enough to be a friend of martin's his dad whose word was gospel and a 53 year old woman named helen harvey which sounds a bit bizarre so she was the heiress to a share in the tattersall company which is part of australia's lottery game you know that 
we've got the lottery over here and there'll be some whatever i think is that is it merlin or something like some company that like is behind the lottery in the uk uh, yeah, yeah, I know what you this mean. woman has a share in that company that helps run the Australian lottery. And because of this, she is a very, very wealthy woman. And she's known around town to be a bit of an eccentric. So um, she lived with her mother in a big mansion with around 50 animals, cats and dogs, just milling around the place. Which is, that's too many. That's too many. That is a lot of, a uh, lot of animals. Yeah, it's too many. And because of that... She needed someone to tend to the animals and then like try and keep the land around her little mansion under control. And I, I will point out as well, James, this house was a shithole. Like an actual fucking shithole. Um, there was like, la- like caked layers of just animal shit on the floor um, that, that literally like took time to clean like this is not just like an afternoon this is like kim and aggie stuff like getting in there right getting getting your elbows (laughs) dirty and whatnot um and like yeah the two of them were just like proper hermits they hardly ever left the house um the mother of this woman helen she uh was pretty much bedbound for the most part but um eventually she got kicked out of her bedroom moved into the kitchen where she basically just sat up at the table for two years and she was in immense pain all the time she slept at this table she didn't leave this chair like she's sleeping upright and she's in immense pain and it turns out later on she had a broken mm. hip like for two years just sitting at the chair oh yeah, just sitting at the hell. table with a broken hip just like in agony at the at the kitchen table and because they never left the house that nothing happened she just lived in the kitchen Re- mm. how did you get food oh, well she was minted so they just got food brought to the house i imagine but yeah, right, okay. it was very, very bizarre. They had a very bizarre life. Uh, and now 19-year-old Martin, he's looking for new customers for his lawn mowing odd job, where he then met Helen with her overgrown home, and they just immediately hit it off. Now, it seems to have been a mother-son relationship. Not that he didn't get on with his own mum, but she saw... Um, he sorry martin saw his mum more as someone who just simply washed his clothes and cooked for him not as like uh someone mm. to be comforted by but with helen helen she saw someone you know saw him like actually like a son that she just never had and probably would never have in her lifetime and so she just gave him all the attention that she could give him and he just lapped it up like he absolutely yeah craves attention from people because he has no friends he doesn't you know he's not very smart um he him and his mother you know don't have that tight-knit relationship him and his sister don't really get on the only other person he has is with his dad so he doesn't have that female figure um so yeah they just they just clicked now when helen's elderly mother passed away the local authorities ordered that that house be cleaned like they came in and was like this place is a shithole you need to sort your fucking life out. You're a minted lady. There's no reason why your house would be a shithole. And um, Martin and his dad actually volunteered to clean the house. And you know what I was saying? That was literally like layers of animal crap on the floor. It took Martin and his mm. dad three months to scrape off all of the animal shit three in the house. Months. And clean it to the point where it was livable. Oh. Yeah. Bloody yeah. hell. It's like, you ever watch... Um, like extreme hoarders and stuff like that 
where they're literally like yeah, crawling yeah. through tunnels of newspaper because it's just like oh i can't get rid of it like yeah people get to that point where they just give up it's crazy isn't it like i'm not a clean person like i'm looking around my room right now and like a lot of people would walk in here and say this is messy because there's some empty bottles on the floor and i have a bit of a floor drobe but i can clean it up in about yeah. 10 minutes and it will never get any worse than that yeah how can you live like that I know hoarders is like, I think it's a mental um, issue. I don't know what the correct phrase is, but there there is a there is a problem there, people not being able to let go of stuff. But animal shit, like, come on. You can't hoard animal shit. What are you going to use it for? Fertiliser. Just get rid. Yeah. Well, it ended up, it turned out that um, Helen and her mother pretty much just lived exclusively upstairs in the mansion and all the animals just had free roam downstairs of the house. So like they just used zoo. it as the toilet. Yeah, pretty much like a zoo. So she used it as a toilet and... Yeah, and that's why she was. I think eventually she was like, "I need someone to come look at the house and look after it, please, because I can't do it." Um, but yeah, so eventually they cleaned that house and it was in a livable state for a human. Um, and Helen, obviously noting that she would be lonely with her mum gone, invited Martin to come and live with her, which he just absolutely jumped at the chance to do so. Um, although lo- the local authorities in charge of Martin's disability disability benefit they weren't keen on the idea of Martin moving out of his parents' house for this reason exactly. In a reassessment, they stated that they were still concerned about Martin's social behaviour and believed that it was actually his parents' influence that was keeping him in check. They were concerned uh, with Martin sort of not being around his parents anymore. Um... They genuinely, it's almost like they were quite scared of him. They were like, this guy could be a, a problem yeah. around the area. And without his parents, we that's just definitely a possibility. Um, in this same assessment, they, they also expressed that they were concerned about Martin's uh, desire to, quote, go around shooting people. Like He actually said that about the age of 20 in a reassessment. Well, that's a red flag for what comes later. Yes, it's a fucking red flag. <laughs> um, now, this was in a little note because obviously he has to speak to a therapist and whatnot and he expressed that he was keen on the idea of just like, you know, just wants to know what it would be like to go around shooting people. Martin's dad, when Martin's dad, Morris, read this, um, he kind of just saw his worst fears about his son. Um, obviously, like I mentioned earlier, all he wants to do is just raise his son to be like every other young Tasmanian boy running around with his little air rifle, climbing trees, throwing rocks. That's all he wants. Mm. And he's then like reading this reassessment and being like, oh, your boy is kind of keen on the idea of shooting people. And he's like, fuck, 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 fuck. You'd question yourself, wouldn't you? Like, where have you gone wrong? And then you'd look at the time you gave him an air rifle and be like, oh, maybe that was bad. Yeah, no, exactly that, right? And and this is something that properly uh, played on the minds of Morris. He was um, deeply concerned about his like his role with raising his son, and you know the pressures that you know I might be raising a monster, and I've tried my best, and what more can I do? That all those kind of questions that child like parents think, uh, and it's like one of those scariest things that like, new parents have. They're like, what if I do it wrong? And it's yeah. like, listen, man, look, so long as you feed it and love it and do your best, there's nothing more you can do. Mm. Um, just don't neglect it. Don't you know hurt the child just do your damn best man um 
so yeah, Martin Martin was a handful, right? Martin was a handful, and that was with both parents. What Morris was concerned about is how Martin would cope if they were both gone. So he had a will made up, giving the house to Martin in the event of both the parents dying, and made sure that Morris's life insurance, which was worth around two hundred and fifty thousand Australian dollars, would be given to Martin in the event of their death so that he wouldn't struggle in life financially he'd be able to have a home and be able to support himself for a little while that should be all good Mm. so he's genuinely like fucking scared like if i if we die i don't know what's going to become of my boy and so try to put every like thing in the way to make sure that he had everything he needed now at a similar time the now 24 year old martin with his millionaire friend helen moved to another property in a town called Copping. Here, they spent their days, and this is weird, buying animals for the property. They went on shopping sprees. They lunched at the same restaurant every day. And uh, Martin got himself a new wardrobe. So Martin quite often just wore white overalls and a cardigan. Um, because obviously doing his odd job, he was always like mowing the lawn and mm. you know doing just random shit. So he just never really wore normal clothes. He just wore overalls. But now, Martin's wearing fancy suits and he's got a little fedora hat on and, you know, he thinks he's all cool. Um, and they also have a liking for buying cars. So Helen actually had a vast collection of cars and the two of them would often be seen looking at new cars in dealerships. And Martin also loved to patrol the property with his air rifle for god's and na- sakes and neighbors would hear it be shot often throughout the day but at his worst he would shoot at tourists to the area buying apples from a stand near the property for fun and bants is that not illegal well, you think so yeah i mean he's still shooting something at someone yeah um but yeah man that's just it's just weird like he he's just you know living this weird life um with this woman it's so bizarre it's very bizarre, so bizarre. it's like um you won't know this james right but it, when it, when a divorcee kid goes to their other parent for the weekend and the parent starts buying a mcdonald's and it's like oh, i don't normally mm. get mcdonald's and you go home and you're like well dad let, dad buys me mcdonald's and it's like we don't live with your dad anymore. It's like this, but Martin's living with that parent 24-7. Like, she's yeah. taking him out every day for shopping and all this stuff. He's just living the dream. Um, uh, so, like, go on. Yeah, it's... it's When you first brought this up, I thought he was going to, like, I don't know. I, I think in his mind, surely he's just wanting to get on the will of this woman. Yeah, no, you're not wrong to think that, but... I genuinely don't think he's smart enough to have even considered that. He's just enjoying each day as it comes. He, oh, do you know what? He's you, you know, the only thing that Martin is interested in is the fact that Helen is giving him the attention he requires. If Helen stopped like talking to him or wasn't interested in like hanging out with him anymore, he would like get really upset about that. No, if she stopped spending money on him but just listened to him talk, he'd still be happy. Right. All he wants that's is someone a, to just listen to him. That's quite sad. It is. It is, actually, in a weird way. Um, so, although Martin and Helen got on, 
I mean, Martin even referred to her as his best friend. Uh, that did not mean that she was safe around him. Now, Martin, age 24, had not yet got his driving license. Now, when out in the many cars that Helen owned, oftentimes Martin would just lunge across and grab the steering wheel. And this happened so often that Helen had actually taken to driving no faster than 35 miles an hour at all times for fear of an accident. So like even if the speed limit was 70, she's like, no, I'll drive at 35 because she did not trust Martin because he'll just grab the steering wheel, yank it, and they'll, they might veer off. Fucking hell, you'd sit him in the back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You'd try and sit him in the back, but even probably then, he'd, he'd lunge from the back to the front, try and grab the steering wheel. And I, n- nobody really knows why he does it. He just has this urge to do it, and he just does it. Now, I mean, quite suicidal. <laughs> Yeah, you'd think maybe, but I again, I don't think he's smart enough to understand the consequences of his actions. I don't think he understands that, like, you know, by doing that, he could hurt himself or the other person. He just thinks it's fun to do. Like, that's just something to do. It's just an instinctive reaction. He's not smart enough to, I don't think, understand the consequences of what he's doing. Um, Now, back in uh, October of 1992, Helen driving her Mazda with Martin in the passenger seat and a couple of dogs in the back of the car, had a head-on car crash when the car veered to the other side of the road and when it crashed, it broke Helen's neck and killed her immediately. Fucking hell. Two of the dogs in the back also died. Right, that's that's pissed me off. uh, Yeah, and Martin suffered a couple of broken bones himself. Now... It's not actually clear how their car managed to veer off. But rumour has it that Martin had grabbed the wheel as he is wont to do, which caused the crash. But it's not proved. He's, he was not he was not uh, arrested for it. He wasn't questioned for it in that sense. Like, it, it just is a freak accident as far as police are concerned. But obviously, we know now that Martin quite oftentimes grabbed the steering wheel. So who's to say he didn't? That was just... He killed her. If if he grabbed the steering wheel and that's what caused the crash, yes, he did kill his best I mean, friend I think signs point. Accident. Uh, it, surely she wouldn't just veer to the other side of the road by herself if he's got a history of grabbing the wheel and veering off. That's the thing, isn't it? Now that you know the history, you can't help but just assume that that's exactly what happened. But, it, you know, in terms of the police report... It doesn't say that Martin did it, so we can't say he did. No. Oh, but two and two together. Now, with Helen dead, Martin's best friend, obviously, Martin's life of luxury would be over. Or that's what you think would be the case. So it turns out that Helen had written in her will, bear in mind she has no children, no extra family other than her mum who's already dead, right? She had it written in her will that Martin was to receive, I've written this in capitals, James, and I've, I, and I've put it in bold, everything. Everything. Estate, money, The animals, everything. the cars, the mansion, the farm, there'd been the, her, all her fortune of over half a million dollars, which in today's money makes him a, a millionaire. Everything. Mm. She gave him the lot. 
she like wow. proper, yeah she absolutely doted on this uh, this this boy and yeah she was just you know give him everything and i just think imagine that imagine falling like up uphill in life like that yeah you get given this estate and everything but then like he clearly really cared about her and the attention so maybe the money was secondary and he's now just very upset that she's dead I, I genuinely I think you're spot on there James I, th- I think exactly the same thing I think Martin would trade all of that to have Helen back sitting next to him listening to him just chat about absolute nonsense hmm. um, and later on uh, it is noted that Martin th- thought that money would bring him friends and attention and if anything what it kind of brought him was people trying to use him and not friends <laughs> it, it it's not what he got uh but anyway with helen dead martin actually moved back in with his parents for a time what they tried to do is whilst he's mourning try and keep him under uh, you know some sort of control or whatnot he'd lost his best friend you know and he tried to find friends among the kids in the neighborhood but even they were a bit wary of a 25 year old just sort of being like can you be my friend yeah as you would be exactly right now, alone and in mourning, tragedy struck again when in August of 1993, Martin's dad, Morris, went alone to the Copping Farm, which was owned by Helen and now Martin. He rang Martin's mum and told her that he loved her and then hung up the phone. The next day... Well, that's a red flag. Yeah. The next day... A man came to the door to find a handwritten note saying, quote, call the police. Martin's dad was found face down in a dam at the back of the property, dead. And in his pocket were antidepressants. Right. Oh, dear. Fuck yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Um, yeah, so it turns out that Morris... Uh, sort of leading up to his death had been going to a, a doctor saying that he'd been feeling down depressed and you know just not great and he'd been referred to antidepressants and whatnot which apparently he'd been taking and we don't know why he decided to take his life in the end um particularly given like how much he cared about his son and making sure that his son was okay um but yeah it's 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 a tragedy so not only had Martin lost his best friend, he's now lost his dad, the only man that he yeah. ever spoke to. Um, oh, that sucks. That sucks, man. That really sucks. Like I, I was so shocked when I found that out in the story. So Martin inherited his father's life insurance of 250 Australian dollars and was now a millionaire loner. You know, all this money and mm. no one around. He sold the farm where his dad had committed suicide and he lived alone for a time in the mansion. Obviously, Martin's mum would try and, you know, reconcile, like, the relationship and console him and everything. But, you know, Martin had a relationship with his mum, but, like, it's not, like, a close personal one. It's just, you know, you're my mum. Yeah, I'm fine. Cool. Yep. So he would go to the same restaurant that he and Helen would eat at at the same day every day uh, turning up in his fancy suit and he'd go eat there it's almost like it's his place to connect with her um and 
he'd go in with a briefcase and he'd like tell people that he's got a great career and he makes loads of money and just make up stories about him which like everyone in the fucking restaurant knows is bullshit and the yeah. um manager of the restaurant like in an interview was like um people would laugh at him like they're laughing at him whilst he's like creating this fantasy of his life that he's got this great job and he makes loads of money and he's successful and everything like that and people just laugh at him and this guy was like i actually felt a bit sorry for him you know that he felt the need to say all this stuff about himself make up all these lies about his life just makes him feel, feel a bit better so he um thought that money would bring him friends and relationships but it didn't he would have a couple of girlfriends going forward in life but nothing would ever really last um he would just sort of splash the cash and assume that that would be enough but obviously that's not necessarily how it works for some people uh one girlfriend who was 16 and bear in mind he's like 25 so it's a bit you know bit it's pushing it right um they went on like lots of holidays together uh she was taken to a restaurant where she learned that martin actually can't read very well like he struggled to read the menu and he would just pretend that he knew mm. what was on it and she said she felt a bit sorry for him then um in, on one um situ- uh, time he martin took her out on a boat to sea where it then ran out of fuel and it got stranded out to sea and he was like started panicking didn't know what to do and he started crying and thought they were going to die so he doesn't have a wish to die at this point yeah um but yeah eventually the coast guards found them and it was like oh dear you've not done this very well have you it's like nah <laughs> fucked that up didn't you all that money you can buy fuel now this is bizarre from 1993 to 1995 so I was born in 93. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, Martin took to the air, buying plane tickets to everywhere and anywhere but his hometown. So Martin visited Japan, Singapore, Norway, the UK, the USA. He loved to go traveling. Uh, and he did. He fucking went everywhere. But it seems that... Um, he wouldn't spend long in each place, just like a few days before he then set off again to somewhere else. Um, and it turns out that it wasn't so much the travelling that he was interested in as it was the actual journey itself. Um, I'm going to give you just like one opportunity to try and guess why Martin preferred the plane journey more than the actual being in the place he was travelling to. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
why did he prefer the plane? Uh, I don't know. Did people talk to him and give him like attention? Yeah, yeah, spot on, spot on. Martin said how the best part of his trips was the long plane journeys because he could speak to the people next to him who obviously stuck in a metal tube in the sky had no choice but to be <laughs> polite. You know that scene in Airplane uh, where he's like moving around yeah. the, um, the plane telling his life story yeah. to people and they just keep killing themselves <laughs> in various ways? What a great film. <laughs> yeah, Martin just, yeah, he loved the fact that uh, you can't get away from me. like, And most people on the planes are all being polite, so he just talk and this listen. This is one of those times where I feel deeply sad for and like pity for someone that goes on to do horrific things. I think that, like this is a, a running thing, but like he must have been so lonely. And obviously his intelligence is not helping him because mm. people weren't really giving him the time of day. But that, I'm not going to say it justifies what's about to come, but it's still obsessing. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Like, even people who like maybe are not as uh, socially uh, equipped to like maintain friendships, uh, that at least they might have a job by which every day they can at least speak to the same people and like have some sort of uh, continuing relationship with them people. Whereas like Martin isn't even able to hold down a job, mm. so he doesn't interact with everyone's people there. got. I suppose I I don't know if you believe that everyone's got like a devil inside of them and there's just like the things we do in our life to kind of suppress it and whether he didn't have that ability to suppress it because no one was really helping him yeah but i think it sounds horrible but i think like every single human being is capable of horrific things oh yeah just 99.9 percent of us absolutely don't out of morality or fear just don't yeah no i absolutely agree well we mentioned it uh when we spoke about was it do you, yeah but well, well, Oh, the, the the man, the myth, the legend. When we spoke about Diogenes, uh, and yep. how Diogenes was always saying, like, you know, he lived his life. Uh, oh, what was it? We mentioned about in Diogenes' episode. Feel free to go back and check it out because I'll have mentioned it better back then, obviously. But how like was it Plato's ring as well, where it was like, if 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 you were invisible and no one could see you, would you do horrific acts, uh, and and live mm. a different way? And it's like the fact that society sees you and recognizes your actions, it stops you doing a lot of stuff. And Diogenes was like, nah, yeah. man, I'll just fucking wank in the streets. I don't care. Mm. Well, this is the thing. If you could, like, I don't know, stop time or something like that, and you could just walk into a bank and just take all of the money, would you? Yeah. I'm Probably. Probably. Like, it's the fear of getting caught that stops people. But then when you, but then taking money is different. Like murdering someone or something like that directly harms another human being. And at that point, morality does come into it a little bit. I think it's about con- well, a lot of bit. I think it's to do with consequences. I think it's. I think we're scared of the consequences of our actions more than we're scared of the action itself. Yeah, this is the thing. But I, it's, it's the famous Ricky Gervais interview where. Um, He's talking about uh, how he converses with people who uh, are of faith. And he says, and they say to him, if you don't believe in God, what's stopping you from going out and murdering and raping as much as you want? And he replies, I do go out and murder and rape as much as I want, which is not at all. Oh, right. Yeah, that's really clever. Yeah, I like that. My answer to that would then be like, you know, because I do what I, exp- I, 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 you'd say I would do what I, oh, Christ. My actions reflect the society that I would like to live in. So I don't rape, murder, and yeah. kill 
because that's not a society I want to live in where that's the norm. No, I hate people being upset around me. Like, it really bothers me. So I just won't... Obviously, everyone upsets people at times. It's the human experience, but I'll always do what I can to not be that person. Yeah. Which sometimes is a really bad trait as well because you don't like don't stand up for yourself in times where you should and all of that wishy-washy stuff. But just don't kill people, I think, is what I'm really going for here. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think we have to sort of hammer that one home too much. Don't kill people. No, but maybe someone's listening to this going, oh, don't. Oh, right, okay. We've just stopped a murderer. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be cool. That would be cool to stop a murderer. Let us know if you're about to murder someone and we've just stopped you. That'd be a good message. Yeah, if you're about to murder someone, I, I, do you know what? I don't even know if I want to know. If you are about to murder someone, let us know because then at least I can refer to like the you know the correct authorities. So don't do it as a joke because I will refer to the authorities. And if you do murder someone, <laughs> if you decide not to message us before you do it and then just go and do it, at least whilst you're being interviewed, like recommend the pod because obviously all the attention that we'll get through the media would be really helpful. Oh yeah, then we'll do, uh, cover you as an episode. <laughs> yeah, that's not. We need to stop encouraging people yes. to murder people. Yeah. Don't yeah. murder people. Stop doing that. We're not encouraging you. It's like you know when like people that go around setting fires just so they can go put out a fire. It's like we're like go murder someone so I can mm. talk about you. Don't. We've got lots don't of murderers to talk about. We don't need any more murderers. Got, yeah, got There's too many. Got enough. You can yeah. be one of our nice episodes. Go and build a hospital yeah go solve cancer or something yeah do that yeah now throughout martin's life his failure to make friends always bugged him it doesn't seem that he really wanted or it, it seems that all he really wanted was to, to be listened to and in 1995 martin was suffering mentally and was com- contemplating suicide talking about this experience he said quote I just felt more people were against me. When I tried to be friendly towards them, they just walked away. Which I'll probably imagine is not helping you feel sorry for this guy as well when he says something like that. It's deeply sad. Like oh, I saw it at school so much. You know how at school there's always the like social outcasts, shall we call them? Yeah. People that don't really fit into to groups they struggle socially and at school it's hard because you'll get bullied you'll get like people will bully you as a result that's just kids being horrific as an adult you kind of just i don't know blend into the background a little bit yeah but you see these people and you just wonder what's going through their heads that every day they just feel like worthless oh yeah sometimes all a person needs is just a hey how you doing you're right yeah just just look at someone in the eye and just validate them and like acknowledge they exist yeah it can go a long way so martin's belief that people were deliberately out to get him had him overthinking about how to get back at the world initially he thought about strangling the next person who was mean to him but then it quickly moved to shooting them when asked why guns he said quote i thought guns would be better the more power the better around this time martin was contemplating getting his own back on everyone he was ruminating on those who had wronged him and his family. Specifically, uh, a couple called David and Nolene Martin, an elderly couple who owned a bed and breakfast called the Seascape near the historic site of Port Arthur. But why them exactly? Martin's dad, Morris, had once wanted to buy the place, Seascape, but the Martin family got there first. Martin Bryant grew up listening to his dad rant about how the family misfortunes was down to the Martins buying the bed and breakfast 
and Martin believed that this was the cause uh, this was the thing that pushed his dad over the edge causing his death he began to buy stacks of guns, including a semi-automatic rifle for 5000 Australian dollars. He had some odd fascination with them. When police showed him as evidence the weapons used, he gets all giddy over them, even calling the AR-15 rifle he used as a, quote, sweet little gun. Mm. Martin never had a gun license, nor did he have any trouble purchasing weapons. Martin's plan was coming along. He even circled the date on his calendar. And now we get to, as Martin refers to it, the accident. At 6am on April the 28th, 1996, 28-year-old Martin's alarm goes off. He showers with his girlfriend and sits down to breakfast. By 8am, she leaves and Martin says he will see her on Monday. For the next hour... Martin packed two semi-automatic guns and a shotgun with ammunition into a bag all while drinking Sambuca. By 9.47, he was in his yellow Volvo heading towards Port Arthur. On his journey, he takes four stops. He stops to buy a lighter. He then moves on and takes another stop to get petrol. He then goes to a cafe for coffee. And lastly, he stops at another petrol station to buy ketchup which is the odd the really odd part mm. and no one knows why he stopped to buy ketchup but i think it's something to do with him like trying to set up some kind of alibi to like see all these places that he'd been to not where he's supposedly going to be right okay now by late morning he parked his car at the seascape bed and breakfast here he confronted david and nolene he said he wanted to buy a farm the farm off of them and it offered them a lot of money for it but they said they weren't going to sell no matter how much money that martin offered so martin shot them both dead leaving them in their beds he then got back into his car and drove to the area of port arthur parking up at the broad arrow cafe on site there he went inside took a seat near the back and ordered food once he was finished he took his assault rifle from his duffel bag and fired 17 shots in 15 seconds at staff and guests. 12 people were killed and 10 lay injured. He then calmly walked around to the other side of the cafe where the shop, where the shop was and fired 12 more rounds, this time killing 8 and injuring 2. He reloaded his rifle and walked out of, to the car park firing at people, killing four and injuring six. Once in his Volvo, he drove 300 metres down a road out to the historic site where he came across a woman and her two young children. He stopped and got out of the car, pointing his rifle at them. The mother pleads to Martin not to kill her children. Her desperate plea falls on deaf ears as Martin kills one of the children and then the mother. The other child tries to run, but Martin follows them and shoots them too. Back in his car, he drives up to the toll booth entrance of the site. He comes across a BMW with four people in it. He shoots all of them and dumps their bodies on the floor outside the car and then decides to steal the BMW. 
With his stolen BMW, he drives to a service station. There, he comes across a woman and her boyfriend. She is immediately shot dead, and the boyfriend is forced into the boot of the car. He then drives back to the Seascape B&B, where he murdered David and Nolene Martin, and he held the man at captive while the police began to show up for a night-long siege at the building. They tried to negotiate with him for the hostage, but Martin's demands were to be transported to an airport in an army helicopter. Now, when the phone that he was using died, communications stopped, and sometime later in the evening, Martin shot dead his captive. The next morning, Martin set fire to the house and in the confusion tried to escape. It didn't work and he suffered burns to his back and arse for his trouble. He was apprehended by the police and sent to a hospital to treat his burns. In the same hospital where his victims would lie dying or being treated. Martin's murder spree was over. In all, 35 people were murdered in cold blood, simply wishing to take in the sights of the historic Port Arthur. Husbands were killed trying to protect their wives, and mothers were tried trying to protect their children. And all the while, when being questioned, Martin is seen grinning like an idiot, making jokes and even laughing. That's the bit, to be honest with you, I was, a couple of documentaries I watched on this guy, and some, uh, there's a, I think 60 Minute, I think it is, uh, it's like some Australian program, and they showed like this 47 minute interview of Martin Bryant, and he's just like la- la- laughing mm. and smiling, because here he is sat in the middle of this, in, in the middle of a table, with like two officers next to him and a camera, and in a weird way, James, it's reminiscent of like him with his relationship with Helen. He's literally getting all the attention. Mm. Like they're just listening to him talk, and they're like, "Okay, Martin, tell us everything." He's like, "Are you going to listen?" And they're like, "Yep, we're going to listen to every single word. We're going to write down every single word you say." And he loves it. It was when like you said you were doing this episode. It was interesting because the other couple of uh, last in, within the last two days, uh, I, I spent a lot of time on TikTok. It's an addiction I need to get rid of, um, and part of his interview just randomly came up on my feed and it was when he thought they'd stopped recording. Yes, yeah, we will get onto that. And it was something like, he was like, uh, I don't know, I, I bet you wish you could catch who did it or something and he was like, me. Yeah, no, we'll get onto that. Something um, like that. So on one occasion, Martin is shown the rifles as evidence and um, as I referred to earlier, he called it like a sweet little thing. Like, he's just... He does love guns. Uh, he's asked if the gun is loaded, to which they're like, no. And then he jokes, saying that, like, you know, if he had it in his hands, he'd shoot the windows and he'd jump out. Um, he mentions how, like, you know, he looks at one of the police officers and he says to him, like, you know, if people didn't do crimes such as his, the police wouldn't have anything to do. And the police officer's like, well, you're half right there, Martin. Like, you know, at first... At first, Martin refuses to acknowledge his participation in the crime, and he only admits to stealing the BMW. But when talking to his lawyer, he says, quote, I'm sure you'll find the person that caused all of this. He then points to himself and says, me, and then starts laughing. And this is the point you're at, James, where his lawyer then responds and says, quote, 
I don't find that a very funny statement at all, Martin, to be quite honest. Now, thinking he's being smart, Martin then says, quote, you should have put that on record. And the best part of the video, as you've said, is when his lawyer tells him that the cameras are actually recording and Martin's face just says it yeah, all. Yeah, they got him. I mean, they had him anyway because there were loads of tourists around the area with their own video cameras. So we know it was him. He's been caught. Like, he's mm. banged to rights, but obviously he's not admitting it. And then obviously at this point he actually says it and they have it on camera and they weren't even expecting it. But... Mm. Martin is still actually in person with the officers there, refusing to admit to his involvement. Now, the investigators decide to show him photographs of each of his 35 victims, simply trying to get some kind of response from him. They're hoping that, you know, it might shock him. Uh, you know, all that horror that he created, that would be enough for him to go, okay, I'm sorry, I fucked up. It was me. But um, instead... And this is the bit like, this is filmed, you can watch it. He's being shown the dead, the people that he has killed. And he smiles and he asks the investigator, quotes, and you reckon I've got something to do with it? I can't understand him. I mean, it, it's been clear throughout, he's a bit dense. I think he probably thinks he's been really smart. Yeah. Like, they don't have any evidence on him, even though they clearly do. Now, the whole time, he seems to be getting off on just basically being the centre of attention. He's adoring this. He adores being spoken to. Uh, basically, people are taking an interest in him, and he's just lapping it up. Now, in court, despite advice from not only his lawyer, but his own mother, Martin pleads not guilty to the mass shooting. Uh his lawyer in an interview later on was like the only reason he had to plead not guilty was so that the court case could drag on and he could get that validation of like being the center of attention again and he yeah he wanted um his like victims that he had not managed to kill to come into court and look at him and say yeah that's the guy like because then he again he's getting more attention mm. So Martin was yeah. actually assessed by a psychiatrist who deemed him to be sane of mind. He wasn't mad. He wasn't schizophrenic. He's not suffering from any kind of mental illness. Although he was later diagnosed as having Asperger's syndrome, which is a type of... Um, uh, oh, I've forgotten what the word is now. Autism. It's a type of autism. Um, but there's no real relevance to you know why he did what he did. So it's it's not important the fact that he has some form of autism it's not it's not relevant in this situation mm. now what psychiatrists did make a point of was that he was to be blunt thick as shit uh he had the iq of a 10 year old um and that same insecurity that his sister was smarter than him was the same thing that got martin to change his mind now, his lawyer told him that if he pled not guilty and a full-on trial occurred, they would make him look stupid. And soon enough, Martin actually changed his plea to guilty and wrote a confession on an A1-sized piece of paper. You know the massive ones, like the big flipboard ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrote on that in very, very poor handwriting. Like, yep, I'm changing my plea from not guilty to guilty. Well, it made the court case a lot easier. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100% made it so much easier. And that's all because his lawyer was like, Martin, if you go through with this, they're going to make you look like a fucking idiot. And he was like, I don't want to look like an idiot. Mm, too, pride, too proud. Now, one by one, 72 charges were read to Martin. And 72 times, Martin pleaded guilty. He was sentenced to serve 35 life sentences. Which, if you're curious, that's 1,035 years without parole. So he's never getting out. Hmm. He spent time in a suicide prevention cell at the start of his sentence and moved to then a mental health unit later on. He tried on several occasions to end his life by slashing his wrists and neck, but he's still alive today. In fact... Martin now lives close to his old childhood town of Hobart in a place called Risdon Prison, a maximum security facility. His only visitor is his mother, who still today visits him. In prison, he thought he would find immediate fame among other prisoners. Instead, he's now noted among other inmates as a loser. In fact, uh, a guard of the prison that Martin's staying at did an interview in a newspaper not too long ago uh, and said that he's basically the laughing stock of the prison. Mm. Uh, he also said that Martin, Martin's got a bit of a sweet tooth and has been known to perform sexual acts uh, in return for like sweets and other things. Mm. Mm. Which, like... <sighs> not trying to like you know it's that whole you know we feel sorry for him at some point early on in his life and i despite the horrific acts that he has com- like done i still feel sorry in this sense that like you know he has the mental age of a 10 year old and and as obviously it's not going very well for him in prison i don't i don't know if that sounds weird um yeah it sounds a bit odd but i don't know like it's been a weird story because we felt sorry for him for a lot of it and obviously what he did was just horrific and he deserves the life sentences that he got because he's capable of such atrocities. Um, but now it's just sad again what what he's doing. and His life is just fucking shit. Like, yeah. This guy literally had everything handed to him on a plate. Like life, he, he won life. Life gave him a free pass. Uh, yes, unfortunately, he suffered loss with his dad and whatnot, and obviously with his friend, uh, Helen, which he may or may not have caused. But he he was basically made a millionaire for doing fuck all, and he could have lived the rest of his life just sort of quietly on his own, and just gone through, just just you know what I mean, just coasted. But no, he went and did horrific acts, and now is paying for it. Within 12 days of the Port Arthur massacre, Australian Prime Minister John Howard had brought in a wave of reforms with gun ownership. The nation spent nearly $500 million on the buyback scheme, which offered gun owners a financial incentive to give up their weapons. They took in around 650,000 weapons, like like just over half a million. Uh, uh, And today... Uh, the amount of money they spent is, about, is, is sort of a, equivalent to nearly a billion dollars, how much they spent mm. buying back weapons from people. 
there's a lot of weapons around yeah um but this is a thing right so um i watched an interview uh of uh, another ex prime minister of australia uh he was doing an interview in america about gun control and how like you know uh oh america's got this like gun culture australia doesn't have a gun culture and the like, the australian prime the ex australian prime minister was like i mean that's kind of not true like australia definitely has a gun culture we're an outback country like we're a frontier country where there's lots of fucking animals out there that kind of want to kill you at, at, at the easiest convenient moment whereas like you don't have hardly any of that here he was like even if you live in a city he's like you're not going to get a bear just wander into your house <laughs> whereas like in australia that very well could happen um mm. and he was like and we managed to get rid of guns so like i don't see why you can't and we definitely needed them more than you probably needed them um so yeah new licensing requirements were adopted in australia uh, and a national firearms registry was created where like you had to uh, sign up basically um australians could not have a weapon without a genuine reason such as sports or being a farmer and funny yeah. enough funny enough um obviously we have a massive american audience to the show and um get ready americans because in australia self-defense is not a valid reason to own a weapon yeah too fucking right because never in my life 25 years and i've lived in some fucking horrible areas like real like oh, you're God. gonna get mugged areas Ilford, yeah and Ilford, vile and no point in my life have i ever thought oh, i could do with a gun here never has that thought crossed my mind yeah. ever i've never been hurled up by a gun i've never i've never seen a gun not in a controlled environment see uh, so i grew up as an army cadet uh i spent all my teenage years as an army cadet so i grew up around uh weapons and uh rifles and i know how to shoot i, w I got trained how to shoot i shot for uh essex county um so i i, I was i am I, I would say i am still maybe a pretty good shot um i like guns i i grew up playing with them as an army cadet do you know what i mean but in a safe controlled environment and there were mm. appropriate reasons and moments to use them uh and also yeah. i would say i was and am a responsible weapon user i don't own a weapon but i would be considered as like a responsible user i was trained in a correct and orderly manner to use one whereas like there was you know and i was like 15 you know, a teenager basically mm. playing with these and i had you could argue more experience and training than like anyone just going to walmart at the age of 30 buying a pistol it it, it makes no sense it's what well, it baffles me when americans cling on to the whatever amendment is second third second. fourth whatever you're on now but that's exactly what it is it's an amendment amend it again yes yes i'm pretty sure when the um constitution was written i believe it was supposed to be like every four years or something like that it was supposed to be looked over and changed that was the intention yeah so it reminds me of you know the jim jeffries gun law routine and obviously jim jeffries being hmm. the, fa the famous australian comedian uh and he's got it now i'd say it's one of his most famous things he's taught he's meant he's uh material on gun control and he's saying how like in australia we had port arthur massacre in 12 days we got rid of the guns and you guess what we've had none since then <laughs> he's like i think it works and then he's saying how like the american amendment the second amendment he's like it's a fucking amendment which means it can be changed it's an amendment 
And it was it was written in a time where you needed weapons because the like the land was so volatile that different governments and regimes would try and take your house. Yes. That doesn't happen anymore. Yes. Um, the English aren't coming anymore. As 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 we we we're, we're done. As Jim Jeffries put it, um your government at the time had uh muskets and the weapons that you guys had to fight against the government was also muskets. Your AR-15 rifle now is not going to take down a drone. No, if someone wants to invade your land, they will invade your land and let the military deal with it because that is their job. Mm. We don't need a Karen wielding an AR-15 in a front lawn. Yeah. It's unnecessary. Um, it, it... Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, they require, in Australia now, uh, background checks and you have to wait up to 28 days after approval um before you're actually allowed to even go into a shop and buy it so even after you've been approved mm. you can't just go oh fantastic my license came i'm just gonna buy go and buy everything you've still got to wait a month after then to buy it uh, and, and this is the thing that i think america falls down on as well like obviously there are valid reasons for having weapons like rifles and things for uh farmers or what have you yeah, no one that isn't in the army needs an assault rifle for any purpose, no. you don't need an assault rifle. If a fox is coming after your sheep, you don't need a fucking AR. Mm. No, I definitely agree. What are you going to do? Just spray it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And also, um, it, even in America, uh, rapid fire is not legal. Um, it, it, to say even in America, you cannot fire uh, it just, like that. It scares the shit out of me. It, people always like I get asked a lot like would you ever live in America and yeah I would I think there's some great it's a beautiful country I love how the cultures change different states I love the landscape mm. but your gun laws terrify me I I don't want to be around that it's 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 fucking scary no, I completely agree I completely agree I would love to maybe one day like you know live out in America that'd be really really cool but like I don't know how comfortable I am about like even the fact that schools get shot up you think even kids aren't safe. In, but like it's, even that's not enough mm. to like just make radical changes. So it turns out uh that when the Australian Prime Minister um John Howard made these changes in Australia to their gun laws, that does not mean that it all went really smoothly. Australia, like America does now, had a massive like gun lobby group that was like, you can't get rid of our guns, Like it's our way of life, it's our culture, you can't get rid of guns. And he was like, I don't give a shit, this is more more important than you just being allowed to mm. carry a rifle. It's more important than yeah. that, because not only have like mass people been shot, like children have been caught up in this and actually been murdered, that's more important than you being allowed to carry a weapon. Um now that's and he and that that his at the time was like deemed to be like almost political suicide this guy like was new in office um they were like oh my god he'd lose uh his prime ministerial ship by doing this and he's like i don't care like that's more important whereas like it doesn't seem to be the case in america no no matter who gets in no one it'll be fascinating to get some american views on this because obviously you i know there are a lot of anti-gun people in america um but it just seems like there's a lot of... What terrified me as well, you know the... Um, around, I think it was around June last year, this time last year, you had the Black Lives Matter movement and there was a lot of anti-lockdown protests going on and 
you saw the anti-lockdown protesters who were predominantly white, let's be honest, uh, marching to their, I don't know, government buildings uh, yeah. in their town, everyone wielding a gun. Yeah. And it's just, that is scary. And yet you had a Black Lives Matter protest where no, I don't think anyone had a gun and the police were being extraordinarily violent with them. I think we've said it once, we've said it a million times, America is deeply, deeply flawed. It's a... Oh, I forget what the phrase is. It's like a third world country under the disguise of a first world country. It's <laughs> fucked. I, th- I think it's... I think Americans need to know that the rest of the world pities them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. It's, it's an isolationist you guys like, attitude to a lot of American people. I Don't get me wrong. I, I meet a lot of Americans in my line of work, and I think they are fabulous people. I love speaking to Americans because they're just so enthusiastic, so down for a good time. I just think there's a lot of things that aren't down to the individual that are down to like government-based policies that need to change. And that's change takes time. So it's a young nation. Keep fighting still, the good fight. In the grand scheme of things, it's still a young nation. This, but I don't buy that as an excuse because I, I couldn't give a shit. Like it's not a child. <laughs> you're you still you're still part of the world. Yeah, fair. Like I think Germany is um, 1870. What newer great. than America? Yeah, 1870, yeah. So, so like, yeah. And Germany have been through a fucking lot, let's be <laughs> honest, and they're, they're, they're okay. They've had their teeth and problems. They've had, they had their issues, like, big, big issues. But you know when, like, they say about children, look at them now. toddlers have their terrible twos? Like, mm. <laughs> Germany definitely had its terrible two phase. Speaking of America, really weird, it's kind of a side point. What really baffles me is that you have the um, Civil War, the north and the south and then after that is when comes the wild west in my head it's always been the other way around immediately afterwards yeah it was uh it's crazy to me because the the wild west to me seems like it should have been like when it first america was first founded because there's just nothing there but no fascinating i find it Mm. fascinating american history is crazy and i I believe i believe it's also a time span that only lasted uh two decades about Mm. 20 years and yet so many films but it's not it's like like it's a, it's an era that we assume just went on for like 50 to 100 years yeah just people living in the middle of the desert shooting each other every now and then Very everyone loves a wild west film it's it's fantastic and i'm sure we will get onto cowboys at some point now you know famous outlaws oh, yeah um but yeah uh now since if we get we, we sh- we've gone off on we we've gone off since 1996 and their gun reform uh australia uh, murders involving a gun in Australia have halved, and gun-related deaths have also halved. Which, which um, when shown to American uh, gun fans, they're like, "Well, that shows it doesn't work because there's still gun crime and there's still gun deaths." And it's like, "Yeah, but there's there's half the amount than there was before, which is like better than none in terms of like you know at least there's yeah. something." Um, and they also they also do the whole, well, there's knife crime, and people get killed with knives. You're not going to take oh, everyone's knives yeah, around. It's gonna... like I don't butter my bread with a gun. Exactly, like the gun has one purpose. I can't, and a cut. knife has multiple purposes. I was just about to say, I literally was about to say, I can't cut a gun. I can't cut an onion with a gun. But then I was like, but I, if I shot the onion, I think that would be, be a better. Mess, at, right? I think that would be better at dicing it. Uh, have a go. I I don't. I doubt. I do doubt. But and yeah, for sure. In England, we have a massive knife crime problem, and that needs addressing as well. Really, really bad. Yeah, we do. But 
we, we tend to adopt the policy over here. If you carry a knife, you are, I think, a lot more likely to get stabbed. I think the majority of people that get stabbed are also wielding knives themselves. Yes. So it's, does therefore it follow in America if you have a gun, therefore you're more likely to get shot? It's exactly true. That's exactly the um, stat. Is uh, if you own a gun, if you own a gun, you're more likely to get harmed by it uh, or harmed by a gun. Um, but yeah, uh, between 1979 and 1996 in Australia, there were 13 mass shootings in Australia, which is about one a year. Since mm-hmm. the reforms of 1996. There has been one, which is uh, nearly 20 years. So ne- around similar time frame, uh, they went from having exactly. 13 to one. And that was relatively recent. That was in 2018. Um, right. So, yeah, uh, the UK has very similar gun laws. Um, and death by gun is also very, very unlikely in the UK. Um, you do have to register. You have to have the police do a background check on you. Uh, you have to have a valid reason for owning the rifle or shotgun and you also have to have an appropriate place to store it in the UK. And um, yeah. I think my granddad's got one to shoot the rabbits, I think. Yeah, yeah. So you can have one for hunting um, and uh, farmers can have it for like um, maintaining, um, what's it, like local populace that, you know, creatures come onto their farm and eat their shit. Yeah. Um, you're allowed to have one for that reason. Uh, clay pigeon shooting, which is um, a really good fun thing to do. If you want to own a shotgun, mm-hmm. you can have one to clay pigeon shoot, which is quite fun. And yeah, that's um, that's the story of Martin Bryant, the guy who changed Australia for the better by doing something absolutely fucking horrendous. Yeah, absolute madman. Did, did feel sorry for him, but inexcusable. Yeah, in a weird way, you do feel sorry for him. But um, yeah, uh, thank you to Joe. Uh, from australia for recommending this episode to us um it, that, that was great i had not thought about martin bryant so thank you joe for sending us that uh as she referred to him as an arsehole which i think is pretty apt <laughs> when she messaged oh, us yeah, and was like a... oh yeah and then you got martin bryant he's pretty much an arsehole i was like okay yeah i'm definitely gonna look into this guy <laughs> it is the definition of an arsehole yeah um i also want to mention uh joe uh made us aware of a charity in australia uh, called the Alana and Madeline Foundation, uh, which was set up in the aftermath of the Port Arthur massacre. Uh, Alana and Madeline are actually the two children that were killed with their mother, um, and uh, it was created in their name. Uh, and it supports children um, who are going through like hard times and violence and things like that. So yeah, thank you, Joe, oh, for amazing. recommending this Go episode. Go check that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hi to all the Australian listeners. Turns out we've got quite a few. <laughs> um, How's it going, mate? If any, how, how the fuck are you? We, we were going to do it eventually. Quite a lot of Sydney listeners. If anyone wants to put us up, James and I are happy to come over and just hang out for a bit. <laughs> P. Sherman, 42, Wallaby Wasted. Hey. Um, yeah. So, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, James, do we have any idea who we're talking about next week? I ain't got a fucking clue. I've been quite busy. Who did I do last time? I've not got a clue. It's been a while. Sorry for the break, guys. As James mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, we've been really, really busy. Both the jobs that we work at, when it's half term, it just gets insanely busy. Um, I've just not yeah. had time. We've not had time to sit down and get together and just record it. So we end up having to take a week away. So I apologize for the uh, delay. But did we did time? warn you that this would happen. Now we're both back at work. Yeah, hopefully from next week it should be fine. It's just that this week, half term, if you're not aware of what it is in different countries, is when schools break up for a week for God only knows what reason. Mm. And me and Ryan both work in industries that 
when that happens, kids need something to do, and we're the poor fuckers that have got to entertain them, so... Can you imagine that? People trust their kids with us to entertain them. My job is literally entertain children. My my job, I put people's kids in go-karts. People trust us. That's scary. Yeah, people trust me. To I, I teach kids how to sword drive. fight, which is awesome, but I don't know how to sword fight. Yeah, and I'm teaching kids brain. how to sword fight. Uh, Harold Shipman was the guy we spoke about last week. Uh, oh, last the most boring week. serial killer of all time. It'll be a nice person next time then. Send in ideas, folks. Nice Let lesson. me know. Right. Thank you very much for listening. This has been a long episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Join us next week for something nice. Um, and yeah, make sure you follow us on all the socials. Make sure you donate to the show if you fancy donating on our Kofi page, which you can find a link to. Uh, rate, review us on anything that you can do so. And uh, yeah, make sure you join us next week, hopefully, uh, for another episode of <laughs> That's What People Do. See you later. Goodbye. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.